we're in week two of Anxiety Free, and we start these series in terms of the planning like months and months in advance, and, and usually when I'm like reading and filling a bucket of information to kind of get ready to preach, I think to myself, man, I really need this series. Like, this is really going to speak to me, so I'm going to preach to myself first, but, but when we started doing this, this series, I go, I don't really have a problem with this. Like, this is going to be for, you know, you guys. And, 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 and then I told Chris of that, and I was single a few years ago, and it was really easy to lie to myself. But now I'm married, and it's just really hard because she has integrity. And, and so she goes, are you kidding me? Like, you're not anxious? Seriously? You, you wake up every morning about 2 or 3 in the morning. You're, you're awake for like an hour and a half to two hours, like grinding and playing chess with all your problems. You actually, you're very anxious. And I go, really? She goes, yes. And then I had a physical, my annual physical on, on Friday. And uh, I told my doctor about my sleep issues. And he goes, yeah, we should do a sleep apnea test. Because that's probably not your problem. It just sounds like you're anxious. <laughs> I was like, have you been talking to my wife? And he goes, no, I just, I, it's probably anxiety. And so he gave, me, he gave me a prescription to anxiety medication, like trazodone or something like that. It's awesome. I just want to tell you, it's really good stuff. And so I'm on anxiety meds. So I guess, I guess I'm an anxious person. And so I've been thinking, well, what am I anxious about? And, and you know, I've got my reasons, you've got yours, but, you know, I've got... End of the year's coming up. we got a lot of stuff going on. I'm preaching a bunch. It uh, takes about 18 to 20 hours to put a message together from creation to talking to people to reading to outlining to internalizing to asking people, is this offensive? And they always say, yes, don't say that. You know, and I, I finished the whole thing. It's a, it's a pretty long process. So i got a, quite a few messages coming up. And then I'm, I, I lead a lot of cohorts of leaders, and there's content generation for those cohorts, our church planners. And I'm traveling a bunch, you know, and that's always crazy because now they charge you for every bag. Have you noticed this? Like every bag you get charged for? Last time we just left our suitcases at the airport. We go, let's just go to Target. We can replace it for 30 bucks. So we got travel coming up, logistics with family coming in town, blended family stuff. So that's, that's a chess match. And, uh, and then Christmas Eve, we got eight services this year. Eight. Eight services. It's going to be awesome for you guys. Um, but, uh, you know, and every year it's the same thing. It's the sa- I got to be creative with the same story. Jesus was born. Every year, i gotta, I got to make something new out of that. So that's stressful, but I'm looking. I'll, I'll, God will give me something. So, <clears throat> you know, point being, I've got my reasons to be anxious, you know, and all this stuff going in the world that I can't, you know, control. And you have your reasons. But here's what I'm learning is we live in, a, in an age of anxiety. Like, I read last night that uh, 39% of all Americans are more anxious this year than last year. So we got a problem. And then last week, Jeff's job, he, he had it easy. His job was to make you feel anxious. Did you notice that? And if you were here, he did a great job. I said, okay, you tee this series up, make sure everybody knows they're anxious, and then I guess i got to find a cure. And he goes, yeah, I like, I like my job. So he did, I was watching you guys at the 12 o'clock service, and, and he did this thing with balloons. Those of you who are here, if you missed the message, go watch it. It was genius. But he had these balloons up here. Like, you got your, if you're single, you got your, you know, match.com, you got... Marriage, if you're married, you got your kids, you got your, your dog and your cat, you got your, your career, you got your relationship with Jesus, and you got your finances and your health, and all these balloons started shaking off everywhere. And I was watching you guys, and you're like nodding your heads, and I could feel the anxiety increase in the room. And then he started showing these icons of like email inboxes where the number kept getting bigger. And then the same thing with our text message, you know, notifications, bigger, bigger, bigger. And then the same thing with like, you know, social media. I was like so stressed out when I left here. And, and I, I am more convinced than ever, we really do live in, in an age of anxiety. 
Now, as, as a church, we want to have a holistic perspective on everything because Jesus said, love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so we want to think you know, about the physical dimension and the mental and the emotional. And I wish I could share my trastodone with you, but I think they would maybe put me in jail for that. So I can't prescribe meds, nor would you want me to, but we can talk about a, a spiritual cause of our anxiety. And we can talk today about a spiritual cure, and then I'm going to talk to you about a, a practice that will help us embrace this cure. Are you guys up for this? Are you? Because Jesus said, he said to us in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He wants to give us his peace. Is that good news? So let's, let's seek it together. One last prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word and your son and your gospel. Please be our teacher right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about uh, a cause, not the cause, but a, a significant cause of, of anxiety. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29, this is a, just a, a part of Paul's autobiography. If you're exploring faith, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Uh, many people think he was one of the most influential people in Western history. He says this about his life. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I had been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. A lot of danger. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I feel you. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. Does this sound like a guy who had some stress? Maybe just a little bit? So he's saying, five times I was given 39 lashes for my faith. Jesus got it once. There was this belief, based on lots of anecdotal evidence from the experience of Roman soldiers, if you hit somebody the 40th time with this whip with all kinds of you know, rocks and glass and stuff, they, they often would die. So we'll, we'll just be gracious. We'll back off. Five times, 195 lashes. Pelted with stones, uh, beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked several times. It, Paul had like his passport was like stamped with every known country in the world several times back in those days. Uh, and, and then he had this, this pressure he felt because he was a pastor and a church planter. And, and I, I told my two-year-old, I'm, I'm trying to indoctrinate him early. I said, Chester, you know, tonight, we're, this is last night, we're going to go be with our spiritual family. We've been with our family today, our nuclear family. We're going to be with our spiritual family because we're not an organization. We're a, we're a family. Amen? And, and so he, when you have a family, you, know, you care about each other. And Paul had these concerns. Are, are they going to stay faithful? Are they going to keep walking with Jesus? And, and so that was always burdening him. And then he had his own problems, his own temptations, his own flesh to manage. And, and he didn't want to be another high-profile pastor who falls and be, was on the cover of the Roman Journal or whatever at the time. So he was wrestling with that. And so this is a guy who had a lot of reasons to be anxious. Agree? What was the reason, the, the underlying reason for his anxiety? As I read through this list, I, I sense he's got all these things going on that he cares about that are out of his control. You know, we've all got this like circle of control. We can control a few things. And there are all these things that we're concerned about that we wish we can control. And so Paul's talking about a whole lot of things that he wishes he can control, but he couldn't. 
And so I would say the underlying cause, one of the key underlying causes of anxiety is we feel out of control. That's why Jeff's thing worked for you last week, right? Uh, there was some research done in Germany on people driving in the city versus people driving on the Autobahn, and they hooked them up with a bunch of electrodes and stuff and measured like, you know, stress, like stress test kind of stuff. Take a guess who is more anxious, people driving like 100 and something miles an hour on the Autobahn or people stuck in traffic in the city? We know about this, don't we? Living in Denver, yeah. When you're, when you're stuck in traffic, you're out of control, and it creates more stress than if you're driving 150 miles an hour and you're whatever on the Autobahn. When we feel out of control, we feel stress, and we feel anxious. So obviously, the cure is to control more things, right? Isn't that the cure? Isn't the cure to become a bigger control freak and try to get more control? You know, Jeff thinks balloons. I think whack-a-mole. How many of you remember whack-a-mole? All right, you're over 35 then. Okay, it's like, it was this game. You'd go to like arcades and there'd be like these holes and these little like little hammers and the, the, the moles would come up and you try to hit them. That's how I picture life sometimes. Like you got, you got your health, you got your spirituality, you got your marriage, you got your singleness, you got your job, you got your ministry, you got, I don't know, climate control, China, the economy, you got all this stuff and you just, oh, you got your dog and you got your cat, your cat, your cat. And you, and, yeah. So you got all this stuff, right? And you're, you're, it's like you're constantly trying to get control, and that really helps a bunch, doesn't it? Now, the, the answer is, is not to become a control freak and try to gain more control. So what is the answer, or a answer? What, what is a, a potential cure for our feeling of being out of control and having anxiety? Uh, Paul gives us a hint in his letter to the Philippian church. So as we'll see in a few moments, he's writing from a prison cell. Philippi is in modern-day Greece named after Philip of, of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. And Paul, he started this church. And so he's writing a letter to them, and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And then in verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So he's writing from this prison cell. He's in Nero's backyard. He talks about the palace guard. And so what Nero would do, he would put his uh, political rivals in, a, in jail cells behind his house so he could keep an eye on them. And then he'd send some of his army, his special, you know, special ops people to go watch them and make sure they don't get, get loose. And so Paul's one of those. So he's in a, he's in a jail cell, and he's probably chained, chained up to some other bad guy. And, and so these are not like ideal circumstances, right? So imagine you can see into his jail cell. So go back 2,000 years, and you're looking in the jail cell, and, and you, you see a little bit of light, and on his back, there's like this, this spider web of veins and, and, and scar tissue. And his, his rib cage is kind of not very aesthetically pleasing because he's had his back beaten with these rods, and the ribs never healed. And you see his head's kind of dinged up from rocks, and then as you kind of maybe walk around from his back, you, you see his face. And, and he can't see very well because he was 60 years old when he wrote this. And so his eyes are a little bit dim. But you, upon looking more clearly at his face, you go, wow, there's a joy in that face. Like there's a peace in this man's countenance. The letter to the Philippian church has been called the joy letter because 16 times Paul talks about joy. 
And so if you didn't know better, you'd think he was at some five-star resort in Fiji, <laughs> a little umbrella drink. You know, he just, he just emanates peace and joy and, and, and happiness. What was his secret? Well, it wasn't trying to get more, more control. His secret was the way he, he saw life. He, he believed that whatever his circumstances, God was up to something really great. So he's saying to the Philippian church, yeah, I wish I was out preaching the gospel. I wish I could keep traveling, you know, and get more, more stamps on my passport. I, I love doing that, but I, I can't. I'm in this prison cell. But here's, the, here's what's really great. I get, to, I get to preach the gospel to some of the most high-profile people in the whole Roman Empire. Isn't that cool? And, and he goes, I even get to preach to people who are part of, of Nero's household. If you read the Philippians 4, it's a very short book. He's giving his farewell. He's going, hey, peace be with you. I miss you guys. And he says, members of Caesar's household send you their greetings. I love the irony of that. He's saying, yeah, I've led some of Caesar's family to Christ, and, and isn't that great? So for Paul, it's like, what are the circumstances? Well, great. God's up to something great. I can't preach. Well, I get to preach here. And other people are preaching because they're being emboldened by the fact I'm in chains for Christ. And then he says, now, I could die. I could die any moment. Nero could just kind of decide, hey, I'm done. Uh, if you read Tacitus' history of the, the Roman Empire, uh, Nero burned down a, a significant portion of the city of Rome, 70% burned down, and he blamed Christians for it. Scholars say he was just trying to in increase the size of his palaces, and he wanted some new buildings, so he did it himself. But he, he was blaming Christians, and so he was, he was taking Christians and putting them in the Colosseum for the gladiator games and feeding them to lions. And then he had this, this habit of dipping them in wax and using them to light up his garden at night. Great guy, right? He killed his mother. I mean, the guy was insane. And so Paul's like, well, he could kill me tomorrow. But you know what? It, for, for me, to die is, is Christ. To die is gain. I get to go see Jesus even sooner. But if he doesn't kill me and I get to live, that's great too. Because I can keep preaching to these people and maybe I'll get free someday and I can see you again. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you do with a guy like that? You, you can't beat him down. No matter what his circumstances, his attitude was always like, great, this is great, God's up to something great. How did he get that mentality? What was it about Paul that made him like almost invincible given circumstances that were beyond his control? It was the gospel, right? You know, later he says uh, that I may fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. And may I experience the power of the resurrection. Paul learned to see all of life through the lens of the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So on the other side of the cross, it just seemed like out of control. Evil won, and life's just out of control, and it, it just seemed absurd and meaningless. We, we take this incredibly beautiful human being, the most beautiful human being who's ever lived, who did nothing but teach hope and heal people and bless people, and we put him on a cross. And, and if we understand who Jesus was theologically, he was fully human, but he also was fully God. So God actually becomes one of us, and we kill him. I mean, is that absurd and out of control or what? So on the other side of the cross, it just seemed just out of control. But we look at the cross on the other side, on the side of Easter Sunday, because of the resurrection of Christ. And we go, the cross is the most beautiful, hopeful symbol in the world because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the fact that he died on that cross to give us the hope of resurrection in the future. Little resurrections now and a great big one, and the restoration of all things in the future. Good news? Amen? 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 So here's how we're to see life. 
We're, we're to see it the way, the way Paul did. Every time we encounter a cross or a death, we're to say, great, great. God's up to something great. There's going to be a resurrection. God's going to bring about a resurrection. That's the hope we're to live with. A resurrection in this age, or if not, in the age to come. That's how we cure our anxiety, is we see all of life through the lens of the gospel. So you lose your job. You go, great, great, God's got a better job for me. Or maybe he wants me to have some time off and kind of recalibrate and figure out what my calling is. You break up with him. You go, great, he wasn't worth my time anyway. Hey, God's got somebody better for me. Or, or, or you know, I've got more time to use my singleness to, to minister to other people. We have a recession or depression in the future. We go, great, we don't have as much money, but you know what? We get to live a more simple life and focus on the things that matter the most. Maybe we can help each other out. Uh, the Broncos, they, they lose another game. Great. You know, great, we get better draft picks, hopefully, next year or the year after that. Isn't that how it works, right? Yeah, your cat dies, great. There's one less cat in the world, okay? So I, it's the ninth anniversary. I get to tell a cat joke if I want to, All right? So whatever happens, whatever happens, we just go, great. This death, this cross is not the end of the story. It may seem absurd and meaningless and just out of control, but there's got to be a resurrection. God's going to bring about a resurrection. So how do we get this, this belief from our heads down into our, our daily lives? Uh, let me give you a practice. It's simply the practice of, of prayer. And, and Paul talks about that practice in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 4 he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. The reason you can say, great, this is awesome. The reason you can have joy is because of the Lord. And to emphasize the point, he says it again, rejoice, rejoice twice. Over and over again, actually, 16 times, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. There's got to be a resurrection. And then he says, if you want to feel this and experience it in your soul, then you got to pray. Petitions and thanksgiving. Uh, Max Lucado, uh, I, I call him America's pastor, you know, because he's just, he's older and he's just, he's a pastor to pastors. And he says, we can be anxious about everything and pray about nothing, or we can pray about everything and be anxious for nothing. So I want to spend the rest of our time together, another five, 10 minutes, talking about prayer. And I, I want to talk about how to pray in such a way that we feel the peace of God. But I'm, I'm going to go on an excursion for just a moment, okay? So we're driving down the road. And we're talking about anxiety and being out of control, and God's in control, and resurrection, death, prayer, okay? You with me? You with me still, right? Okay, so we're going to go off-road for just a moment. Range Rover, maybe? Jeep? What do you guys want? Jeep. We'll go in a Jeep. You're in a Jeep. We're off-road in, in, in a Jeep just for a few moments, and we're going to keep talking about prayer for a little bit, but i got, I got, to, I got to send a message to you, and then we're going to get back. We'll get back on the road, so stay with me, okay? So I uh, want to talk about praying for needs. And the needs not just of ourselves, but others. In verse 14, Paul says, Yet it was good for you to share my troubles. What was this trouble? Um, the trouble was, if you were a prisoner in the Roman Empire, they didn't feed you. Like, the emperors would say, hey, we're not wasting our precious tax dollars on feeding you know, criminals. So you had to find a way to feed yourself. You either had, like, an offshore account or a patron or a people or something that would help you out. But Paul's a pastor. He doesn't have any money. So somehow the Philippian church heard about his need and how you know, he's going to starve to death if we don't do something. And so they did something, verses 18 through 19. I am amply supplied now that I have received 
from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You see what happened? They heard about this need. Paul's praying, God, please help me, help me. Please give me, I need food. And, and the Philippian church was the answer to his prayer. And they took up an offering and they sent it to Rome through Epaphroditus and they took care of Paul. Isn't that cool? Okay. And then Paul reminds them, hey, God's going to, because he's, you've met my needs, he's going to meet all your needs. He always does. You can't outgive God. All right, why, why am I taking you on this little, little side trip? Off-road. Um, in the months of November and December every year, we do a year in offering. And, and most of the offering goes beyond our walls to different church plants and ministry partnerships. Uh, last year, we had a goal for 125000 bucks. We raised 147000 bucks. Helped a lot of church planters, a lot of partners. We started a new ministry in the neighborhood for new move-ins. We give them these really cool gifts. And we were able to buy that White House on the other side of the parking lot for our middle school, high school students and small groups during the week because you guys were so generous. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to do it again. And uh, we usually do three major things. And so this year, got a few new initiatives. It's always about something new that we're doing. So we, uh, we want to start a young adult ministry. And we have a lot of college students coming right now, a lot of DU students, DU professors. And we want to start Bible studies in the Greek system, maybe the dorms. And uh, we also have a lot of, a lot of young 18 to 22-year-olds who are taking non-traditional routes. They're doing trade school and apprenticeships and stuff. They're coming to our church. And, and so we want to start a number of young adult discipleship groups, but we also want to start a young adult service. And I'm told that we need to do this on a weeknight because weekend activities. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, so we're, we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going we're gonna to hire a resident. I interviewed a guy the other day that is at CU Boulder. Cool kid. We'll see if he's the guy. So we're going to do that. And then also uh, we got you know, church planners like Rodney and Gina. We're going to give them an offering so we can help them get launched. And, and also a couple of ministry partners, Calcutta City Mission, Hope in Our City, which works with refugee children. They've got a new initiative they want to help start, so we're going to help them with that. And then last but not least, and this may seem a little like it's about us, but I don't think it really is. Uh, you, you know when you, you have a house and you've got like a couch, and, and everyone knows it's really ugly and stinky, but you, you don't know that because you're so used to it? That's the problem with our building. Okay? So for those of us who've been here for a while, like we're really used to the, the creepy stairwell. But our guests, and we even actually learned to enjoy these moments of like false intimacy in, in the stairwell. You know, as we pass each other and we kind of do one of these next to you, and go, hi, I don't know you, hi. So we, we're used to doing that. But our guests, when they come, especially on a bigger day like this, it's this creep out factor. And so we have finally been given permission by the city to expand our stairwell without having to add a sprinkler system, which was a quarter million bucks. And so we're going to double the, the width of the doors, and we're going to make that whole area landing, and then you can go downstairs, you can go upstairs, and we have a lot of people, even last night, people who are in wheelchairs, and they have to do the, the chair of shame over here, and it's awful, and so we're going to add a lift, like a little elevator, and they can come in here and, and with, with dignity, right? So we're going to do that. Yeah. Hey, we'll tap for that. Yeah. It gets even better. You know how the bathroom, at least the men's room, I haven't been in the women's room forever, but the men's room is like an outhouse. It's so we're going to fix the bathrooms, and we're going to add two bathrooms in the back corner, right? Isn't that cool? So uh, ask me how much this is going to cost. How much? Thank you for asking. I'm so glad. you. 250000 bucks. No one's clapping. Why, why, aren't you cla- why aren't you clapping? Okay. All right. So here's what I know. Here's what I know. Uh, we've done all kinds of offerings like this. Every year we've done one, uh, little mini campaigns, initiatives for different things, and um, we always have met our goal. And let me tell you why. 
Uh, because we ask those of you who call Restoration Your Church, if you're a guest today, I'm not talking to you. Just count a few light bulbs for a moment. Um, but if you're, if you're a part of the church, you're part of the family, we would just ask that you pray. We're not going to pressure you. We're going to send you some collaterals and pictures of the you know, building and stuff. But we just would ask that you pray. And here's what I know. If every single one of us who calls Restoration Your Church will just pray, we'll just pray and go, God, what do you want me to do? And we all do what God wants us to do every time we reach our goal. Every time. And if you can only give a dollar, like I want, your, I want to encourage you to have your kids pray because uh, they need to learn now to be generous. And if they give a dollar, nothing, hey, that, that, that counts. Every dollar counts. If you can give $100,000, that counts too. See me in the parking lot. Um, whatever, you, whatever you, just do what God tells you to do and we will meet our goal. Amen? All right, so we've been driving along over here. You know, I've been talking about uh, prayer and money and meeting needs. Back on the highway. You with me? They're walking out because they're going to get baptized. All right, so we're, we're back in the... Okay, let's talk about how to, how to pray. And how to pray in a way that leads to peace. We'll wrap up with this. So Paul talks about petitions with thanksgiving. Now, as Christ followers, we make prayer, like, way too complicated. And, and part of the problem is we, there's people that pray these beautiful prayers... They're poetic, they're like King James English, and they're just gorgeous. Even God's impressed when they do it. Like, wow, that was good. And then the rest of us think, well, we can't do that, so we, we, we just don't know how to pray. But here's the deal. If you can talk, if you can talk, you can pray. Anne Lamott says the two most primal prayers of the human heart are help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you say that with me? Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you think you can't pray. You just prayed. You just did it. You don't need to be like eloquent. You just need to be honest. Don't edit your prayers. I literally told God this week. I'll, I'll talk more about the story in a second. I literally told God, I go, I feel like I have a wedgie. I said that to God. That's not very eloquent, but it's honest. I go, can you help me with this? <laughs> help me, help me, help me. It doesn't feel good. Um, let, let, me tell you, let me tell you why I, I, I prayed that kind of prayer. Um, so I've got, I got little kids, little tiny ones, and i got big ones. And um, I can kind of control the little ones. I wish I could control their sleep, but I can't. But I can kind of control them, but I can't control the big ones because they're adults. And as a parent, you know what this feels like. And you wish you could at times. And, and uh, I, got, I got two older daughters, and they're, they're making some choices that I, I don't... Like, I can see as an older guy how this movie's probably going to end. And I don't like, I don't like what's going to happen. But I can't control it. And so I've been, like, and I had a conversation with my daughters on Friday. I was like, oh, gosh. And I just, it was so frustrating. And I was really anxious Friday. And, and Chris said, we, we talked, she goes, you, you, need, a, you need help. Like, <laughs> sleep, pray, what do we got to do? So I went to bed early. I prayed a lot. Help me, help me, help me. Help them, help them, help them. And I sprinkled in some thanksgiving, thanking God for what he's done in the past and their lives and my life, thanking him for what he's doing in the present, just choosing to be grateful and I even, in faith, I started thanking him for what he was going to do in their lives in the future, in faith, believing that this cross is going to lead to a resurrection somehow. And then the next morning, I woke up, and I prayed some more, an hour and 10 minutes. I'm not bragging. I just, I just needed it. And I finally, I had this moment of breakthrough, just laying in bed praying, where I experienced what Paul's talking about, that this peace that surpasses understanding. This peace that has nothing to do with my circumstances or my daughter's circumstances. Peace. The promise of Scripture is that if we'll be honest, we'll pray honest, unedited prayers 
to God. Help me, help me, help me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Then the reality of the gospel will go from our heads and our minds down into our heart, down into our emotions, and we will experience the peace of God. Is that good news? Restoration, as we, as we close, let me remind you, God does not want you to be anxious. He, he doesn't w- want you to live stressed out, overwhelmed lives, even though we live in an age of anxiety. God wants you to have peace. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This is what he wants for every single one of us, and he wants us to be a non-anxious presence and bring this peace into all of our relationships and into our calling and our careers, into our families, into our neighborhoods. He wants us to spread his peace. Life is so often out of control, but we have a great God, a great God who is in control. And we can trust him because there's a cross and there's a resurrection. And that filter is the way we're to understand every, every circumstance we find ourselves in. So I want to encourage you, pray and experience this peace. Will you receive this restoration? Will you receive the peace of God today? If so, say amen. amen. That's why I love you. Jesus, thank you so much that you want to give us your peace. Uh, Even right now, as we close out this service, may we experience this peace that surpasses understanding. Please just take a few moments with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and just pray. And again, just be honest. God's not looking for eloquence. He's looking for honesty. Where do you need help? Where do you have people that you're concerned about? Where do they need help? Ask God for help. And sprinkle in some gratitude. speak just briefly to those of you who would say, if you're honest, I, I don't have peace with God, and that's what I need. I need to know I'm right with God. The scriptures say in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So the reason that we don't have peace with God is because of sin, this propensity to live life apart from God. And so if you would like to leave here today knowing you're at peace with God, please realize you can't save yourself. Self-salvation efforts do not work. That's just you trying to control things. What does work is receiving what Christ has done for you. On the Christ, on, on the cross, sorry, he, he, he died to forgive our sin. The wages of sin is death. And on the cross, he unleashed his love, the love of God and the grace of God in the world. We can't earn it. We can only receive it as a gift. And so if you want to receive it right now, I would invite you to pray a very simple, humble prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross to forgive my sin and to help me experience peace with God. And so right now I receive these gifts. I give up all efforts at self-salvation. I receive your salvation. I receive your grace, your forgiveness, your love. I receive your peace with God. And I acknowledge you 
as the Lord of my life. I give you my life right now. I, I surrender. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Thank you. Thank you in faith for saving me right now. If that prayer expresses your heart, either silently or out loud, will you say amen? Okay. You guys can look up. Hey, let's thank God for the good things he's doing in our church today, shall we?